I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. All right, so... I mentioned last time we talked that I was heading out on a week-long retreat and I've just returned home. Mm, Welcome back. Thank you so much. And I want to acknowledge that seeing that I just took time away from my family and my life to go away on a retreat, I completely acknowledge the privilege of that. And I also believe that those of us like you and I and so many other teachers who spend so much of their time offering workshops and offering retreats and classes and sessions as we do, it's actually imperative to be on the receiving end every once in a while. Yes, I fully agree. And I've been feeling that way. Um, You and I have talked about this here maybe a few episodes ago. Both of us can relate with feeling that quality of overwhelm and burnout. And so it was my intention to rest and restore, but I did choose a retreat that wasn't just all about vacationing. Um, The retreat was with quite a notable intimacy and relationship teacher. Her name is Mary Campbell, and she works under the umbrella of um, a company called Divining Beauty, Uh, that she has founded. And a friend of mine suggested that I would enjoy the offerings of this retreat. And this retreat was really focused on sharing with women why and how we tend to feel as though we have to do it all. And how when we succumb to the intense busyness and the endless to-do lists, we can so easily fall into states of overwhelm and fall into states of exhaustion and apathy and just numbing out and overindulging and lack of motivation. And can you relate with me here? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, To all of it. I know. And we all could. You know, there was um, 14 of us from all over Canada in the US. And we were all struggling with feeling that way and struggling with different ways in which that affected our relationships. And Mary, who I'm going to share some of what I got from the retreat here with you on this podcast, but she has also offered to come and talk to us on a later podcast. So I'm, I'm very excited because her wisdom is very rich when it comes to all things, sexuality, sensuality, um, uh, divine, feminine, uh, body acceptance, body love, 
reclaiming a renewed relationship with our bodies and sexuality. So there was a lot of good stuff and a lot of opportunities for us to go deep and continue this path of an examined life that you and I are on, you know? It sounds like an amazing offering that she has. It really, really was. It was in a, a beautiful place in Mexico. So um, that was amazing. And do you know one of the unexpected treasures of where we were in Mexico? We were at this resort near the town of Sayulita. And it, this sounds a little bit funny. I mean, it was incredibly comfortable, but it was all open air and there wasn't any electricity in the casitas. Mm. And there also weren't any full-length mirrors. <laughs> nice. It was. And the other mirrors were a little bit murky and they were quite small. And it, we were, our casitas were in the jungle, so there wasn't a lot of sunlight being able to make its way in. So you couldn't really see yourself very well. And honestly, for me, this was so relieving and it was something that I didn't expect not being able to look at my body and then have judgments about my body in a bathing suit in February, that was not available to me. I was able to simply enjoy through my body the experience of being there, you know, using, using my senses, the sense of touch and sun on my skin and the incredible tastes of the cuisine in the area and experience being with other women in that way. That was a that was an unexpected piece of beauty about about the time away. Do you think she chose that site specifically for that? I haven't even spoken to anybody else about that up until now. It just reminded me of something that I wanted to share that I thought was very interesting. There wasn't an opportunity to look at ourselves the way that I tend to and you know I I watch myself do it. As I've mentioned, we're living this examined life, meaning that we are kind of watching what we're thinking and we're watching our beliefs. And you and I both know that um, the way that we think we quote unquote sh should look is just because it's, just, it's so deep in our culture, the way a woman's body should look. But I'm certainly been questioning that for years and years, and I would prefer not to have any shoulds around that, but it's, it's hard to overcome, you know? So this was so helpful. Yeah. I mean, not having the opportunity to look in the mirror. I know, you know, if I'm having a bad day, bad hair day, bad, you know, mm -hmm. all the negative self-talk that I could bring up around myself, especially in a group of women um, in a beautiful place, I'm sure it would decrease all those opportunities. Yeah, it was such a relief. So much of it was a relief. And that's what I want to share with you here today. Um, a big part of what we processed together and what we talked about was the tendency towards the glorification of our busyness and how we exhaust ourselves each and every day trying to get it all done and doing it ourselves. And many of us aren't great at asking for help. And Mary would describe this as kind of veering off into this sort of toxic masculine quality of getting into over-controlling. And it feels really constricted when we're there and it doesn't feel natural. And she was teaching us the difference between control 
and all the reasons why we tend to want to control the things about ourselves and our lives and others and the quality of trust. What she was laying out for us was we tend to control because one of our inherent needs is to feel safe. And one of the first questions she asked us as a group to share individually was, what do we remember doing in our family of origins in order to feel safe? Like what was our strategy to feel that sense of safety? What comes up for you? When I was growing up, my coping mechanism for feeling safe was to make money. So I always had a job or two, even, you know, babysitting when I was, when it wasn't legal to have a job, I would babysit and I was always babysitting and a friend of mine and I even had like this babysitting, we were this babysitting duo in the neighborhood and we were always, you know, trying to fill up all the time to make all the money. And I even had a jar that I put the money in so I could see it and it gave me a sense of security and safety that, you know, I could buy food, I could buy my clothes, I could, you know, take care of myself. Even at a young age, I knew that for some reason that created safety for me was working. And so your strategy to stay safe in order to really, you created sovereignty for yourself at a young age by earning your own money. That's, that served you in many ways. And in, in what ways has that maybe not it didn't serve me because I didn't know when to stop. I, w- I didn't allow myself any downtime. And really downtime wasn't really encouraged in my family life. Um, you know, I went to school all day and then I would work every evening until nine. And then I would come home and have chores and then I would sleep. And then I'd get up and I'd go to school and do it all again. And it taught me at a young age that you don't really allow yourself much downtime or open space or free time or playtime. And so that way it did, it was a disservice to me. The part of control that came up for you around wanting to keep, to feel safe was controlling the way you spent your time mm-hmm. yeah. and controlling that there was always a certain amount of money. Yes. That was coming in. Yeah. Even in junior high, you know, I had, I was learning that philosophy or that way of living. So does fear come up for you when it, I mean, money is such a fraught issue with so many of us, but is that something that, that you've been working on or struggling with? Yeah, it's been definitely a big work of my life around money, having enough, what is enough? Is there ever the opportunity to do less? Am I allowed to do less? Um, Giving myself permission to do less has been a big um, work for me. Um, Allowing myself to have unstructured time is a big deal that I've been working on. Well, I think you will love to hear this. So around the time that we were talking about our strategies when we were growing up to help us feel safe and how this contributes to the sense of control all the things that we try to control to create this sense of safety. Mary hit us with this thought and how would it feel to think this thought? I allow myself to feel safe in the unknown. 
That makes me anxious. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that thought. Um, and then putting it into action requires faith. Well, like any thought that we decide that we want to create to think it has to be something that lands. For me, what I liked about it is I, I have seen how tendencies towards control, wanting to control what's going on in my house when it comes to sort of overcleaning, feeling the sense of wanting to control uh, aspects of my daughter's life and my life when it comes to food and my family, like really, I, I have felt for many years that this is depleting and this is not the way that I want to live. And so for a few years, one of my North Stars, one of my intentions has been to allow rather than to control. So when she was introducing this intention, uh, allowing ourselves to feel safe in the unknown, allowing ourselves to feel safe in the mystery. It's something that I jotted down right away. It's something that I find pretty inspiring because not only does it include this word allow, which helps me a lot, but it has the element of trust, which I see is the opposite of control. And that would be a practice, right? That's yeah. absolutely not easy. And um, to share my strategy when I was growing up, what did I do in order to feel safe? And for me and my family, it was to try to be so, so, so good, like um, visibly successful, right? Like mm -hmm. hit the home run, um, get the starring role, just, just kind of killing myself in order to achieve so that I would get that, that moment of acknowledgement. And then that's never going to last. That's never going to work forever because as we know, looking outside of ourselves for signs of our own worth is never going to be lasting. And so when that didn't work, my strategy was to just leave. Like mm -hmm. left home at 18 years old, you know, left relationships, left cities, and eventually kind of left myself in, in many different ways. We've shared pretty openly here that's how I see where I went with panic disorder and how I coped and numbed. Um, just eventually kind of just leaving myself. And so I love this idea of cultivating trust. And I'm not saying that that's easy, but I love that it is the opposite of control. Yeah, for somebody who has... Um spent my whole life trying to control things, it, it sounds amazing to not have to do all that work and be so exhausted trying to control all the things that I don't have control over anyway. And do you find that if there's days and weeks in your life where that's kind of up, that control is up, that you do swing right into the other way, into exhaustion, into, into overwhelm, into... Um, self-doubt and numbing out and all of those qualities? Yeah. When I fall into that trap, I try to be in charge of everything and try to control everything and manage everything. And it's so depleting um, pretty quickly. And that has definitely been one of the great works of my life is releasing control 
and mm-hmm. real, realizing where it's appropriate to control the things that I can mm-hmm. or that I should, and then to surrender to the things that I can't control. And because I can't control them anyway. So why am I running myself into the ground trying to control people or things or actions that aren't none of my business, (laughs) you know? And I think it's heartening to realize that when we're in that mode, it's coming from someplace old that helped us to feel safe because that is one of our innate needs, a sense of safety. And I also was really enlightened to know that when we feel things like wanting to numb out, feeling worthless, kind of feeling like a victim, having a lack of motivation, maybe moving into binging on Netflix, Netflix and chill, Mm -hmm. that can be a response to having moved too far into the, the harshness and the constricted perfectionism of the controller, um, you know, trying so hard all the time and forcing. I thought that was really interesting. So because I find myself in those moments of exhaustion and in those moments of overwhelm and yeah, they do follow times when I was just pushing it all too hard. And some of it isn't even our responsibility or our right to control. Well, the truth is we, we can't, we can't control other people. We can't control what they do, what they say, what they think. Mm-hmm. We really can only control what's going on in our own minds. And that's exactly the kind of boundaries that you and I teach when we're teaching together. This word boundaries, it's bandied about. What does it mean? For me, it means if we're setting ourselves in a boundary, that means that we are committing to knowing what it is we're thinking and what it is we're believing that's causing us to react and feel certain ways and affect the people the people in our lives the way that we do. Yeah, I agree. So then we were asked a series of questions to help us to cultivate this idea of trust. Do you feel like continuing to play with me here? Sure, absolutely. So we were invited to sit in pairs And Mary, I'll just repeat her name here because these questions come from her. Intimacy and relationship teacher, Mary Campbell, uh, had us ask one another, where in your life do you not know the way? Where in my life do I not know the way? So I have talked about how I am in the midst of a career change, you know, that I was an emergency room nurse for 20 some years and blew up my life because that wasn't working for me anymore. And I feel like there's something there to that question about the work of my life. Like, what does that look like? I had it all laid out of how my career, my, how I was going to make money was going to go until I retired. I walked away from that. I feel like I'm on this path of this second life, this new path of continuing to help people, but in a very different way, it's still evolving. And I really don't want to force that. I don't see how that looks like in a year or five years or 10 years. And I don't know that I want to control that. This is really hard for me to not plan and control and organize and plot out what 
my career path is going to look like for the next 30 years because I had the first 60 years plotted out basically. So I don't know the way of how I'll make money. I have an idea and it's changing all the time in a very beautiful organic way. And I'm really trying to sit with that and let that happen and not be a control freak about it and force something then that is going to get me into trouble in the future. Does that make sense? Well, it's so beautiful that you've already shared that your strategy for feeling safe as you were growing up was collecting money, having money, storing money, making money, Mm -hmm. and how you just shared here that you don't know the way when it comes to how you'll make money in this new iteration of your career. So I want to like thank you for that vulnerability and... This next question, I think, will be helpful and interesting and probably not easy, and it'll be a process too for both of us beyond just this conversation. What happens in your body, your mind, and in your heart if you allow yourself to stay and sit in that not knowing? When I sit in the not knowing, my initial reaction is discomfort. Mm-hmm. It feels uncomfortable because I want to take action and I want to plan and plot and speed things up and fast forward. And, and so initially it feels uncomfortable. And then it feels like I'm trusting myself that I'm going to need to trust myself. I'm going to need to trust those around me. I'm going to need to trust that there is a plan for me and that I will be able to acknowledge what is right for me to be doing and that I will have the courage to do those things that are right for me. One of my mantras that I've worked hard with around this is show me the way and give me the courage to take it. Show me the path and give me the courage to take it because I can try to excavate the path and pave the path and drive on the path and it's not the right path for me. I've been working that mantra like show me the path and give me the courage to take it. Because I think I've also been shown opportunities in my life that may have been right for me, but because I didn't feel worthy or I didn't feel who was I to do this, that maybe I didn't take those opportunities in the past. And so trusting that there is a path for me that I might not know about. And then also hoping and praying and working that I have the courage to take it as well. There's so much beauty in taking time with inquiring, with gentle and compassionate contemplation, because so often we're just operating on autopilot and tendencies towards control we're just believing the thoughts that tell us we have to get it all done. It's mm-hmm. more of a challenge to sit back and say, oh, but why? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then why? And then why some more? And get under <laughs> the layers <laughs> of why we're driving ourselves so hard and along the way missing so much beauty. And, and like you said, I think when we're forcing and trying and constricting, sometimes we are missing the messages and the signs and the guideposts that could be there if we actually slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for me when you know I learned in junior high to make all the money, fill all the time, 
make more, do more, work more. This has been decades and decades and decades of conditioning that I am now unraveling. Um, so it's not easy. It feels much better <laughs> to, to slow things down, like get off that train that I've been on for so long and actually see what's going on around me. Yeah. Slowing down feels counterintuitive because it feels like, well, then we won't really get everything done. But the thing is, if we're moving more slowly, if we're resting when we're tired, then we actually have more energy at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, you know, it adds up and we end up supporting ourselves because we just feel better for the work that we want to do in the world rather than slogging through it, exhausted, uh, feeling bad. So thinking badly. Mm -hmm. And, and a note about that, because I'm just first day back, and that was one of Mary's practices for us, was everything about what we were doing when we were on retreat. Could we move slower? Could we eat slower? Could we speak slower? Could we talk slower? Could we take some time to think before we spoke? And I noticed today in the grocery store, so first day back into civilization, and people are like bumping into me and, and, and swearing at me underneath their breath because apparently I'm walking slower than, than we normally do in the city. Uh, it was quite apparent to me. It was a little bit jarring because I, I think I have just slowed myself down and I'm enjoying it. Do you think you'll be able to hang on to it? That's the intention. Yeah. Just to get back to these these questions, because there is one more at the end of the process that you've been going through here when it comes to this area of your life where you've acknowledged that you don't know the way. And we all have so many. We just kept asking this to each other on retreat over and over. But uh, the third question here, in order to help us cultivate trust and move away from control, what changes if you absolutely accept the not knowing around this issue? What changes if I absolutely accept the not knowing? I think there's a shift in how I view myself, that I'm still worthy, um, that I'm still valuable, even if I don't know that I will have this fabulous career or title or status. There's, there's definitely still in me this self-worth that I need to work on that is, that is not related to a job or a position. And so accepting that I'm still worthy, that I'm still valuable, that I still have status, even though... I may not have a title. And the cultivation of that real self-worth that comes from somewhere within and, and comes from doing work like this and questioning the voices within that are lying to us about our worth and what we need to reach for outside of ourselves to prove that to ourselves and to other people. When you're coming to that on your own, I believe that it's so much easier to create what you want because what you don't have in your way is crippling self-doubt. You, yeah. you have that natural sense of confidence and courage and a knowing of the next step to take. 
so much better from that place of self-worth that is authentic. Yeah, the authentic piece is something that that I'm working on for sure. Oh, we've said it here. It's it's yeah. a life, it's a lifetime of work. <laughs> yeah, and I like how you said the external. You know, that's that's definitely something that I need to work on the external validation. Not making that so important. That's all we learn though. You know, that is like that is like the great unlearning. Right. The great unlearning for sure. As parents, we're, we're so well-meaning. Think about it. Even pre-verbal, we are teaching our children that you know, we smile when something good happens and maybe we don't if there's been some sort of misbehave. We, we learn, of course, we have to learn in order to stay safe. But what so many of us end up internalizing is that we have to be so good and we have to try so hard and we have to you know, live up to this place that will be impossible to. It comes down to the intention that we were presented with that hit me right in the heart and it feels like a great sigh of relief for my body. I allow myself to feel safe in the mystery. Yeah, I love that. That requires faith and I was not brought up with faith. I was not in faith in anything. You know, the only faith that you created was what you created yourself. The only security that you had was the security that you created for yourself. And I always admired people who had that innate trust, you know, whether it was in the universe or nature or the divine or whatever, that they were going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. I never had that. I was going to be okay if I made it okay. And so cultivating trust or faith is, is so powerful. What came up for me when my partner asked me that question, the first in the series of where in your life do you not know the way? It, you know, we would have many answers to that. But the first one that popped up was my role as a mother. I have a 16-year-old and it's such a confusing, fragmenting experience that brings up so much from my own inner 16-year-old. I don't. I don't know the way. And could you be okay in the mystery? That second question is what happens if I sit with the not knowing? Mm -hmm. If I sit with the not knowing, same thing. You know, the first thing that comes up is discomfort. That's why we don't like to sit with questions like this. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. And that's when we will go to numbing or coping. Like I feel like a piece of chocolate right now. (laughs) (laughs) But if I, if I sit with the not knowing there's fear, it feels uncomfortable. It feels like I want to just to take action in order to somehow better myself or learn more about being a mother. But it's that final piece of what if I completely could surrender and accept the not knowing. And then it almost shifts into feeling like almost exciting as if I could maybe choose not to focus on everything that I perceive myself to have done wrong or that could go wrong. I could open up to, you know, the magic of, of motherhood and the magic of watching this human being that you love in a way that you could never put into words, go out into the world and discover their own passions and bring something new out into the world. And 
I, I think I could even look at the relationship with a lot of wonder and be more present with it. The wanting to control it, wanting to control myself or her or the thoughts that I have around what our relationship should be, how she should be, how I should be, that takes me right out of the present moment. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not really with her. But if I allow myself to accept the not knowing how to do it, then I would be just fully present in the moment to moment. And I would be probably more in touch with that courageous heart, that, that part of me that could respond with love. I think I could relax a little bit and it would be a lot easier to meet my constant attentions that are wanting to, to see her as her highest, right? To, to see her heart rather than see some of these habitual thoughts that I notice I have that I didn't even expect that I would have. I mean, it's so quick. You know, my daughters are 27 and 29 now. You know, it, it literally is a blink of an eye that they are the age that they are now. And, and I can remember wanting to know how it was all going to turn out, you know, that they, they turned out okay. And worrying and planning and plotting and controlling, you know, their behaviors and then missing what was right in front of me because I was so fixated on the outcome or the future or really time goes by so fast when they're growing up to have that opportunity. You know, the work that you're doing around motherhood is such a gift that I wish I could have back you know, to spend that time just marinating in the present moment and not being so future focused. But what we shared earlier about how our inner little ones, like how the strategies that we had to use in order to feel safety, which is something that we all do. I I think that those realizations and those contemplations can help us to gather ourselves back because these conversations can very easily, for me, for sure, go into realizations that then make me feel bad about myself. But when we realize that we all have strategies to feel safe and we carry them forward into adulthood, then we can understand where we're coming from. You know, I hear you talk about feeling as though a, a lot of time raising your girls was was focused on on pushing. and But everything that you just shared your deepest beliefs around safety was to work as hard as you could all Mm -hmm. as much as you could. Mm -hmm. So does that make you feel like you can put your hand on your heart and you can say, of course I was feeling that way because that is how I learned to feel safe. Oh yeah. I I do have a lot of compassion around um, my actions because I felt that's what I knew at the time. Yeah. And I was trying to do all the right things and that's how I thought you were a good caregiver and a good person and a good mother. And that, that was where my motivation was coming from. So I do, I do have a lot of compassion for my younger self that, that I did the things that I did and I, I can clearly see why I did the things that I did. And I just wish I could go back and tell her, you know, you don't, 
you don't have to try so hard. You don't have to work so hard and you're, you will still be a good person and a good mother and a, you know, good daughter and a good provider and caregiver without burning the candle at both ends and burning yourself out so quickly. And you can, yeah, you know, that mm-hmm. you, that is yeah. something that I'm just offering out to anybody who has times in their life where they look back and, and there's some wishing that it was different or that we had made a different choice or said something different or acted in a different way. There is always that opportunity to close our eyes and revisit ourselves and, and speak to ourselves more kindly and kind of gather that aspect back in. In fact, it's not easy at all, but it's my favorite practice for when the emotion of guilt comes calling because you are so correct. What you just said is, is it. We, we, we're only doing as well as we can with the tools we have, with the information we have at the time. Mm-hmm. And I have a, 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 a lot of baggage in my past where if I go back, I'll wince with those feelings of shame and guilt. And it's definitely a practice to remember that I can't judge myself with the information I have now. I have to go back and say, okay, well, what were my motivations? What was I, what was I seeking? What did I know? And the thing is, if we answer those questions honestly, usually we were, we were looking for acceptance and love. And we were likely using strategies that we learned at a really young age. I know for myself, I didn't know any better and doing what I thought was right and what was best. And, and we only know what we know at the time, like you said. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this idea of controlling versus its opposite, which is choosing to trust, how does Ayurveda see trust versus control? So Ayurveda looks at trust versus control from the koshas. We have these sheaths or bodies, you know, we have our our body body, you know, that we can feel our food body. And we have our mind body or in between there, we have our pranayama body, um, our breath body. And Ayurveda looks at the koshas that fear comes from the manamaya kosha, the mind. Fear is a construct of the mind and trust is a construct of the heart. And So moving into that bliss body, all the things that move us into the bliss body to move us away from fear, move us out of the mind and into the heart. So like you so beautifully said, slowing down and intentionally, it sounds like you had the opportunity on retreat to practice that in absolutely everything you were doing, speaking, thinking, eating, walking, Um, Ayurveda would would also say that that is moving you out of the mind and into the heart. So moving away from fear, moving towards trust. All the things that move us out of the mind and into the heart are ways that Ayurveda would say move us from fear to trust. So slowing down. Mm -hmm. Slowing down, meditation, rest, sleep, um, restoration, nurturing ourselves, you know, whether that's through 
deep self-care practices or daily practices, you know, that Ayurveda has, um, you know, whether it's a morning practice or an evening practice, lots of time in Shavasana, (laughs) (laughs) ways to move out of the mind and into the heart, all the different ways that you could possibly think of cooking for yourself might be a way nourishing yourself on all levels. And it doesn't have to take a big span of time, even just today. It's my first day back. And so I had a lot of work to complete, a lot of emails to respond to. And I started to feel depleted. I I started to feel exhausted. And instead of pushing through like I would do and then move into resentment, move into overwhelm, I didn't have a long time to take, but I knew I needed to do something different. So I just went for a very short walk, breathed in the air, looked at some nature, looked at the trees, gave myself a chance to completely clear my mind. And when I came back in, I felt so renewed and it felt like a pleasure to get back to what I was doing rather than a force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, re- rejuvenating yourself. So I continue to be inspired for this new, softer, more trusting way of being. Uh, wish me luck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you had an amazing teacher and opportunities to practice that intensely for a week. So I firmly believe that parts of it will stick. And I wish I wish this for both of us and we'll just continue the, the journey together, allowing ourselves to feel safe in the mystery. Trust over control. Faith over fear. Love it and love you. All right. I love you too. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.